The last night of uh, a conference like this, the danger is to give you too much information and that you would choke on all the information that you've already gotten and you can't systemize or process or uh, digest everything. So we're gonna do it a little bit differently tonight, uh, a little bit less of new information, a little bit more of review and a lot more of homework for you. That's what we're gonna do. First of all, we need to review. Here's where we've been. We talked about God is a God of relationships. Life is a life of relationships. We covered that uh, Saturday night and Sunday morning. We talked about relationships being uh, four things that Jesus teaches us when he comes in the incarnation about how to initiate, how to identify, how to invade, and those things create intimacy. And we want to do relationships the way that God does relationships. I don't know if you've noticed this. It's been a little bit complicated, but I've overlaid. You can do those things horizontally, and you do those things vertically as well. You initiate with God. He identifies with you. He invades you. You invade him with the truth and speaking honestly with him. You do that with each other. That's how we create intimacy. And then we move from there into this system where God put us in time. For whatever reason, we have a past, we have a future, and we have a present. And that, I think, being placed in time helps us to renew our relationships. And so any relationship is renewed by telling the old stories, watching the old videos, getting out your wedding scrapbook and looking at that, talking about the old jokes you had together. And you renew your relationship that way and you start to dream and you build confidence with each other and you remember the stories and you remember what God has done in these stories. These are your stories. They're not just stories for Jews and Palestine. These are your stories. And then we talked about the future hope. Any relationship like walking the tightrope, remember that was the predominant analogy. If you want to be balanced, a pole on a tightrope gives a greater tension between two opposing forces. You have to feel that greater gravitational pull. And so the greater gravitational pull of past remembrance, not forgetting who God is, his sufficiency, not forgetting that he's forgotten, and then a hope for the future, dreaming about the future, dreaming about what God could do in relationships and in heaven. And those two poles help us to stay balanced in love. And we've been using pulling apart, although we haven't preached on it a lot, that verse in 1 Corinthians 13. But these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Faith in the past, hope in the future, but love in the present. See, when your wife asks you to take out the trash, you can't just say, remember all the other times I took out the trash? Aren't you hopeful that one day I too will take out the trash? There will be a day in the future where I might take it out. No, you just have to take out the trash. Eventually, you just have to walk the tightrope. You know, those two things, a hope for what, what might happen if you take out the trash and a remembrance of how you've been faithful in taking out the trash and it didn't actually kill you to take out the trash. All of those things are put together to say, okay, I'm just gonna get up and love her and take out the trash. Sometimes we just have to love. It's the mark of a Christian, love. They'll know They'll know we're Christians when we love. Is there anything else in that? 
How about in this world, this culture that we live in? They'll know that we're Christians by our doctrine, by our love. They'll know we're Christians by our purity, by our love. They'll know that we're Christians by our love. It is the visible mark of the church of Christ to love. It's what we wear on our sleeves. It's what we do. And I love marks, by the way. I love people that have scars because they tell a story. And I love people that have tattoos because they tell a story. And my wife recently has given me permission to get two things, a motorcycle and a tattoo. <laughs> I'm not gonna get the motorcycle. Although I feel very confident on them, but drivers are crazy right now. And I'm thinking about getting a tattoo of Ray Cortez on my calf. <laughs> but he's gonna have hair, it's, <laughs> because it's the new heavens and the new earth. It'll be a sign of things to come. Ray Cortez just right on my calf where I can, I can flex it and he'll smile. It'll, it'll be great. <laughs> But I saw a girl in January, she was at Starbucks, she was my barista, and uh, she turned around to grab my coffee. I don't get frappuccinos, I don't even know what those are, I just get a small, dark coffee, that's all I need. And she turned around to get my coffee, and on her elbow right here, she had three initials and then a date uh, from the prior month. She turned back around, and I said, I saw your tattoo. I'm sorry for your loss. And she bawled, she just started bawling. And I said, I don't know if there's anything I could ever do for you, but I'm a pastor right down the road. Feel free to come see us anytime. Cause that tattoo tells a story. She lost somebody. You don't have to be a rocket science to figure that out. And that was somebody important to her. And so somebody just needed to love her and say, I'm sorry, I saw what you're trying to show everybody. And, I'm sorry for your loss. It's the visible mark of the church that we would learn to love. And so verses 9 through 13 show the visible marks of the church. Now, verses 9 through 13, we're in Romans chapter 12, by the way. So it's going to be on the screen. But in Romans chapter 12, these visible marks of the church, this first section, 9 through 13, I think deal with the church. They're the visible marks of the church, of what people see. The next section that we're gonna see, we'll get to that, but the next section deals with us loving people outside the church. But this paragraph deals with us loving each other inside the church. And then the next paragraph, we'll see what it's like to love people outside the church. First of all, these are the marks that people should see about us. Let love be genuine. I'm just gonna riff off these. I actually don't have many notes tonight, uh, but you can tell when love is genuine, right? Just go to a baseball game, and when they show the kiss cam on somebody, you know. Are they on the first date? Are they brothers and sisters? Do they love each other? Or are they roommates? I mean, you know pretty quick if love is genuine or love isn't genuine. Let love be genuine. And here's the problem. Friends would say to me who are not believers, I've got a lot of friends who are not believers, and they would say to me, Andy, Christians are all hypocritical. And I say, of course we are. Yeah, everybody's hypocritical. We're hypocritical too. We're just a hypocritical people that feel like Jesus could change us and that we wanna love each other. 
genuinely love each other. Hate what is evil and love what is good. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good is the, what the ESV says, which is what we're using. 2020, that's been the issue, hasn't it? Learning to sort through everything, all the process of information we're getting and, and taking what is evil and, and, and you know, abhorring that but holding fast to what is good. Love one another. Look at what it says next. Outdo one another in showing honor. Um, how radical, I don't know the names of your high schools, but how radical would this be in my context at Eastside High School, at Riverside High School, at Wade Hampton, at JL Man, at Southside, at Shannon Forest? How radical would this be if students sought to outdo each other in showing honor? How radical would that be in your business? I remember a story from Coach K. Krzyzewski, uh, head coach of Duke basketball, and he, uh, he told a story about this prized recruit, five-star recruit, and he came into the office and he was having a conversation with him and his mom. And the mom started asking Coach Krzyzewski all of these questions, embarrassing mom questions. How much is he gonna study? Is he gonna be able to graduate? Do you have people that can tutor him? If he doesn't make it into the MBA, what kind of degree is he gonna get? I wanna make sure that my baby is okay. And the kid beside his mom rolled his eyes. And Coach K said, this interview's over. I'm not gonna recruit you. Because if you can't honor your mom, you're not gonna honor me. Right? So outdo one another in showing honor. Would people who hear the way that you talk about other Christians, would they say you are honoring each other? You're outdoing each other in showing honor. Look at what this says next. Don't be slothful or zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Uh, I have preached a conference where I did this thing. I need to redo it. Called Duty, Desire, and Delight. And <laughs> the thing when I did it that was the most impactful was the sermon on duty. We talk about desire a lot. We talk about delight a lot. But you know what we need? Every now and then we just need a good shot of just do your duty. Just serve the Lord. Don't overthink it. That's why Moses told Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then Joshua didn't know what to say, so he told his people, be strong and courageous. Joshua 1.8. Just do your duty. I love act of valor. I'm a kind of a military buff. I just love military history. I listen to a lot of podcasts on military history. But I love that moment in that movie where one, they're falling down the mountain and one of the Navy SEALs gets shot. And he turns to the eight, another Navy SEAL and he said, man, they shot me. They shot me. And this Navy SEAL turns to him and says, quit living in the past. What, are we, what do you want to do about it? Do you want to have a counseling session right now? Like, well, at some point, we have to emotively say, there is a sense where we can't be slothful in zeal. Get up and have your quiet time. I'm not trying to be moralistic at all. Find a way to be generous with your money. It's not that hard. Just spend less on some things and give more away. Uh, find somebody to serve and go serve them. When they let you back in the hospital, be the first one on the doorsteps and visit people whether they're at this church or not. Just get about doing the work of the church. 
wake up every morning and say, God, what's the adventure you're going to take me on? How in the world will you let me serve you today? How's that going to work? And then it says, rejoice in hope. We've covered that one pretty adequately, but it should be meditated on. Rejoice in the hope. Be patient in tribulation. You know, he's writing to these first century Christians here who are, you know, not far from Nero taking these Christians and lighting them for their dinner parties. And he says, be patient in tribulation because in the end we know justice will win. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Did you hear that Episcopal priest when COVID started? I don't know if you heard about this story or not. I think it was in Massachusetts, and there was a retirement home, and uh, everybody was going to lockdown, and the priest went and got a COVID test, and then he went to the retirement home with his COVID test. He was clear, and he said, I want to be locked down in this retirement home because y'all are going to need an extra pair of hands, and somebody's going to need to be in here to change some bedpans. And somebody's going to be, have to be in here and help out a little bit. So if I'm going to be locked down, I'd rather not do it with Netflix. I'd rather do it with you people. Well, how radical would it be if we sought to show hospitality, not just to entertain, but to show hospitality? Now let me apply it a little bit. We'll move to the next one. In uh, 1939, there was a study uh, of Harvard graduates, and they traced them for three, uh, 30 years, uh, 268 Harvard graduates. And then George Vallant finally produced his study some 30 years later. And the issue was, how would these 268 Harvard graduates find happiness? Here was the result of a 30-year Harvard study, 30-year study in the making. The result was this. The 75 years and the $20 million extended on the study points to a straightforward five-word conclusion. Happiness is love, full stop. Happiness is love. But one of the lessons that we've learned is people don't know how to take love in and give love out. One of the greatest lessons and mysteries of the study is that nobody could figure out how to take love in and metabolize it so that you would grow. Nobody knows a lot about that. So all of these Harvard graduates, what they realized is that the people that were happy were the ones that learned to take love in and give love out. But here's the deal, love is not a concept. Love's not an emotion, love's not a person, I mean love's not a commitment, uh, love's not a funny feeling, love's a person. God is love. God is love. And to the degree that you understand the God of love is to the degree that you yourselves will be able to love. Right? If you can't understand and metabolize the God of love and realize he loves you, you can't ever love each other. So the hidden marks of love, we see verses 14 through 21. Now, I say hidden marks because when you're displaying this love, this is for people around you. This is for people that aren't Tuesday night listening to a preacher, right? 
When you go out from these walls, how do you love people outside of these walls? How do you do that? These are the hidden marks. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now, I know that's hard. I know it's hard when people don't agree with you, but just imagine this in first century Rome, not 2021 America. First century Rome, where your friends who are Christians are getting crucified and slaughtered. In that context, sent to the Roman churches scattered about Rome, in that context, Paul says, if somebody persecutes you, bless them. Bless and do not curse them. And then rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I saw your tattoo. I'm sorry. Can I do anything for you? Find somebody to rejoice with, which is much harder, by the way, right? It's much harder when a contemporary or a peer of yours gets the job that you didn't get, gets the promotion. Their kids got into Georgetown and your kid didn't. Whatever the situation is, find somebody that doesn't know Jesus and rejoice with them. Throw them a party. And then find somebody who doesn't know Jesus and weep with them. In Sarajevo in 1992, a bomb went off in that war-torn country. Man, we're so myopic as Americans, aren't we? I mean, we just don't even see the things that are happening around the world. But a bomb went off, and the only active bakery left in the city. There's one last bakery making bread for people, and that's where they threw a bomb. What? That makes me so mad. The result of that were bread and bodies were scattered everywhere and 22 people died. And not knowing what to do, uh, a man uh, named Smijolvik, the next morning took his cello and he walked to the site where that crater was and he the body parts still laying around he walked down into the crater with his cello, opened up the cello, and started playing. A requiem. And people crowded around, and people cried. And then he realized, I'm gonna do this every day for 22 days in a row to honor every victim. You know what's so powerful? It's the incarnation of Christ. Christ came to where we are. He came into our stuff. He was spit. He was beaten upon. He was crucified. He had a crown of thorns on him. So we go to people whose lives are in shambles. You don't have to know what to say. You don't have to defend Christianity. You just sit in a crater, an emotional bomb that's dropped in their life. You just sit there and play some music. You just sit there and listen. You just sit there and be with them. It says, live in harmony with one another. Look at what it says, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Live in harmony doesn't mean, look, you don't have to be singing the same note as the people who aren't in this church are singing, but you have to be within the same octave. You've got to be within the third or fifth. You find something that they're saying, you're like, I understand what you're saying, but I want to give you a different kind of layer to that. 
I'm going to stop there because I'll go into a lecture on apologetics. Then look at what it says after this. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Oh, my word. Let's just read that again. If possible, so far as it depends on you, not on what they need to do for you to live peaceably with them, but as far as what you can do, live peaceably with all. I mean, look, I know Greek. I've forgotten Hebrew. Don't tell my presbytery. But I know Greek pretty well. I was really good at Greek. You can read this in Greek. You can read this in Spanish. You can read this in any language you want. You know what this says? Live peaceably with all, as far as it depends upon you. You should meditate on that. Who are you out of accords with? Who are you creating strife with? Who in your business, in your neighborhood, who in the church, who outside of the church are you not living peaceably with? And you think it's their problem. But live peaceably with all as long as it depends on you. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Okay, let me do this. I'm going to tell, um, I didn't plan to do this, it just kind of worked out this way, but much like last night, I'm going to tell a more intense story emotionally, and then I'll tell a less intense story to bring us back out of it, okay? So don't worry, this is going to be heavy just for a second, and then we'll pull out of it. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it says, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. I'll see if I can get through this. Um, friends of mine in Rock Hill, um, Dr. Robert Leslie, and you might have heard about this because it made national news. I mean, it was all over CNN, all over Fox. Uh, NFL player, Dr. Robert Leslie was a legend in Rock Hill, and I, know, I knew him, I knew his kids, I knew the whole family, they had ARP connections, I was in that denomination for a while. So I know everybody involved. Uh, he was treating an NFL player, and the NFL player had some kind of breakdown. We're not sure exactly what happened. Dr. Robert Leslie and his wife Barbara were watching their two kids, Addie and Noah, or their two grandkids. I'm sorry, not their two kids, their two grandkids. And that former NFL player came into their house and shot all four of them. Now just imagine that. Imagine being the parents and you lose your mom, your dad, your son, and your daughter all in the same announcement. They wrote a press release. Here's what they said. We're truly in the midst of the unimaginable. The losses we're suffering cannot be uttered at this time. While we know that there are no answers that will satisfy the question why, we're sure of one thing. We do not grieve as those that have no hope. You imagine writing that when you're burying your kids and your parents in the same day? You think Christianity doesn't make a difference in somebody's life? You think this whole thing is made up? Nobody would ever be able to respond this way if that was a made up religion. 
<laughs> no, but you could never respond this way. We grieve, but not as those without no hope. Our hope is found in the promise of Jesus Christ, and we're enveloped by peace that surpasses all understanding. And to that end, our hearts are bent towards forgiveness. Our hearts are leaning into forgiveness of the person who shot my parents and my kids. It's bent towards love and connectedness, towards celebration and unity. We honor all of those involved with this story and the prayers and the, and the compassion specifically for the Shook family, the Lewis family, and the Adams family. And the Adams family was the family of the shooter. And they say, we honor all of those involved. We honor them. We honor the people that are a part of this story that never wanted to be because they didn't want their son to shoot anybody but now they're drug into this. And instead of like taking this apart and throwing stones and ripping this apart, the first thing to say was we're bent towards forgiveness and we're gonna love and we're gonna honor the people that we find in this crater of hell with us. Barbara and Robert would want you to be good stewards of what you're given, leaving every place better than what it was before you got there. That's the language of love. It's the language of Christianity. It's the language of, beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for a certain vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know how freeing that is? If you don't have to get somebody back for what they've done to you, if you are freed from that, if you don't have to repay evil for evil, do you see how unbelievably freeing that is? That you don't have to find a way to get the upper hand, to get a, a way ahead of them, to put them down. It is, the gospel is so freeing because now you can just be bold in love. I went to Northwestern High School, which was a big, it was called Football USA. And uh, I didn't play there. You probably couldn't imagine that. Um, I, literally, I would have loved to. I just wasn't big enough, and I just wasn't fast enough. And I, I, I wasn't a good punter. That was my only option. But we would, it was very, very intense. Football games were very intense. You never went across the track. You always stayed on your side. Many, many, many fights. Against our rival, Rock Hill High, we were leaving. I was driving a car, and uh, in the car with me was this guy named John. And John was about six, 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 seven, about to be. He was moving towards, already in competition as a professional bodybuilder. Six, 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 seven. Just go ahead and imagine that. I mean, not so much that you're distracted, but just go ahead and imagine the physique of a, you know, six, seven, six, six bodybuilder. And then behind him in my backseat was this guy named Eddie. And Eddie was one of those just good old boy rednecks. Hunts, fishes, wears boots, and does not mind getting in a fight. You know, the kind of guy that gets like whiskey eyed and you're like, I don't know, something's wrong with you. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> a car of the Bearcats, Rock Hill Bearcats, pulled in front of me. I slammed on my brakes. We barely hit, just barely. They waved me into the McDonald's parking lot. So they pull in there. There's four of them. One of them gets out. 
and starts coming at me. I get out of my car and I start going to them. Now, you don't know this about me because, you know, I'm not a huge guy, but I've got a lot of scars inside my lips because I got a number of fights growing up. I'm scrappy. Um, he started coming towards me and I, he's like, you hit me. I was like, you cut in on me. You hit me. I cut and he's getting closer. I'm getting closer. The other three guys start to come around and surround me. And it's just me. And I am just giving them the business. I'm just telling them this, that, and the other, and they're coming around me. And all I'm thinking is John and Eddie, you better get out of that car like <laughs> soon. And then I heard the door click. And John got out and Eddie got out and they saw the bodybuilder and the redneck. And I rem- they all looked at them and the, literally the next thing that happened was they all said, oh man, we're good, we're good. <laughs> Nothing to see here. We, we don't have to worry about anything. Now I'm not suggesting that's a great model, but what I am suggesting is if you know Jesus has your back, If you know vengeance is mine, and I'll repay. I'll take care of anything you couldn't take care of. You just love. Don't get in somebody's face, but you love. You go to them and say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and if you come at me more, these two guys behind are gonna kill you. (laughs) You just love. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. You don't have to worry about anything else. And then look what it says in verse 20. It says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't overcome, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. A couple things here. Uh, That phrase, heap burning coals on his head, is actually a sign of healing. Uh, There's a lot of different theories on that. But one is coals were put on people's head to break their fever. And so, Help them heal. Uh, another commentator would say coals were given or heap uh, coals on their head because coals, that's how they would carry things when their fire went out. Put coals on their head so they can restart their fire, so they can eat. But this is a sign of healing, not a thing of condemnation. But basically, give them the grace that has been given to you. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Did you hear about that study that New York City, NYU did? They did this, I'm going to tell you about it. They did a study and they hired actors and the actors posed as homeless people and they sat outside pizzerias in Manhattan and these uh, businessmen would come by that just had bought pizzas and the actors who are posing as homeless people would say, could I have a slice? Could I have just one slice, sir? Could I just have a slice? They did it for hours. Not one businessman ever gave him a slice. I think a couple of you have heard this because you're nodding your heads. And then the actors posed as businessmen and they put them in the Armani suits and then they went and they gave pizza, a thing of pizza to a real homeless person. And then they had the actors who were dressed up as stockbrokers, as wealth managers, all these things, walk by the real homeless people who have pizza, the first meal they've had that day, and the stockbrokers, the actors would say, could I have a piece? And 100% of the homeless people gave them a piece of pizza. 100%. Because they know what it's like to be hungry. And they weren't judgmental. And they know they've been given so much by being given that pizza even though they don't have another meal, that if this guy in this suit wants a piece of pizza, I'll give it to him. 
In other words, you don't get the judge who gets grace. You don't get the judge who gets mercy, who gets forgiveness. You don't get to judge those things. We freely give it because it's been freely given to us. Now, I'm almost done. Let me do this. I want to go ahead and give you your homework now. And here's what I want you to do. Can we put back the first passage on the slide, uh, 9 through 13? Can we put that one back up? Let love be genuine. These are visible marks of love. Here's the homework. We're going to do this together. You know how you sometimes study in class together? Here, we're going to do it. I want you to look at that, and I want you to think of a Christian that you know. Somebody in this community, somebody in this church, another believer. I want you to pick one of those phrases. Where do you need to show genuine love? Where do you need to outdo someone in showing honor? Where do you need to serve? Where do you need to be rejoiceful? Pick one, just one. This is like a meet and three. You just pick one. You want to renew a relationship? Pick one of those and do it. Then can we go to the next slide? Now I want you to think about somebody that you know that's not here, that you could love. Pick one of those verses, just a phrase, just pick a phrase. Pick somebody that you wanna pay back for something that they did to you. They threw you under the bus on that text stream for your cross country team. You could repay them. You're, you're not in harmony with them. You have every chance to be prideful, but you don't want to be haughty. There's somebody who you need to rejoice with, or there's somebody who you need to weep with. There's somebody who's persecuting you that you need to find a way to bless. I told you since the beginning, there's a limit to what I can do. You've got to do some of this work yourself if you want to love Scripture lays it out for us. Think of somebody that you need to love, find a way to love them, and then do it. And then there's a third thing. So the one is inside, the second is external, but then there's a third one. And I'm gonna end uh, this whole series with the third one, which is, I wanna spend the rest of our time, and I won't go long, just reminding you to enjoy Jesus. And that's the third point. It's the mark of love. When Jesus comes to Thomas, we won't believe, we won't believe until you see the scars. I, I'm astounded that Jesus says, okay. And you know what that is? That's intimacy. Here, Thomas, touch my side. Put your hands on me. See my scars. That's intimacy. If any of you came up and touched my side and started rubbing my, I would be like, this is way too intimate. But Jesus invites it. I'm not going to condemn you for doubting. I just want you to enjoy the marks of my sacrifice and love for you. 
And now you could go all the way back through this passage, and I'm just going to riff here because I don't have anything in my notes, but you could go all the way back through this passage, and you could see how Jesus does this himself. Look back at verse 9. Let love be genuine. Has Jesus not loved us with a genuine love? Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Did he not throw out the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23 and put the kids on his lap? Love one another with a brotherly affection. Did he not love Peter that way? And all the people that were in his midst that he could, that called on him, did he not outdo one another in showing honor when he said, my father's will is what I must do? Was he slothful in zeal? No. Was he fervent in spirit? Did he serve the Lord? Yes, of course he did. Constantly. Did Jesus rejoice in hope? Yes, his, his mirth and his joy was what was so hidden and beautiful. Was he patient in tribulation? Oh my he went to the cross. This is the part that always gets me about Christ. He went to the cross and he didn't say anything. That bugged me for years. Jesus, why didn't you defend yourself? On the way, on the way to Golgotha, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you speak up? Why didn't you say what you were doing? And then I realized he couldn't because he was going to the cross for us and we don't have a defense. So the, the word of God went to the cross wordless to prove the word of God. Contribute to the needs of the saints. John chapter 2, seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Don't put Jesus in stained glass. Don't let him live there. See how he looked on the cross. See the way that he was persecuted and the way he never cursed them when he could have called legions of angels to rain down and he decided not to because he didn't want to stop the process of love rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep you can think of Jesus with Lazarus and I just love how he wept first just enjoy Jesus do not be haughty but associate with the lowly the woman by the well Zacchaeus, the paralytic. Repay no one evil for evil. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God for its vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I didn't come to condemn the word, but to fulfill it. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And don't be, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I just want you to enjoy Christ, your Savior, who gives you every resource you need for faith, for hope, and for love so that you can renew a relationship with him and a relationship with others. I'll close here because it just popped into my head. It's gonna be hard in this life. We're all on this journey together. But I love that old Annie Johnson Flint hymn. He gives more grace when the burden grows greater. And he sends more strength when the labors increase. And to added affliction, he adds his mercy. And to multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. And when we have exhausted our store of endurance 
And when our strength has failed us and the day is half done, it's just noontime, and you're spent, and you can't love your kids anymore, you can't love your coworkers anymore, when our strength has failed us and the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit, his grace has no mercy, his power has no boundary known unto men, for out of the infinite riches of Jesus, he giveth and he giveth and he giveth again. So with everything you've been given, Seven Rivers, have faith in the past, have hope in the future, and love in the present. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Father, we pray now that you would help us to metabolize love, and that it's, it's not easy, but that we would take whatever you've impressed upon our hearts over these last four days, and that we would apply them to our lives through the grace and through the mercy and through the strength of Christ. We can't do it ourselves. We need your help. And we re need to remember your smile, that we're your adopted kids. We groan inwardly as we wait outwardly for the adoption of our bodies as sons and daughters. And we pray, Father, that we would live with joy and a smirk of mirth, and that we would long for heaven and that we would long to see you and that we dream about what you might do. And God, I pray the same thing for this group that I pray that we pray for our church every week. God, would you do something so great among these people that nobody can take credit for it but you. And may you be glorified, we pray in your name.